morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Children, you can be released. And for everyone else, we are going to be in 1 John chapter 5, looking at verses 13 through 21 this morning. So as you turn there, I'm going to need your patience this morning because my voice is uh, feeling a little hoarse. It turns out we had family night on Thursday night. We were playing this new game that required me to own the role of a T-Rex at full intensity. So I went short arms and roared, and my voice has not been the same since. So I've been drinking water, coffee, so we're going to get through this together. So today, we're going to be finishing up 1 John. Uh, Next week... Uh, We're going to be continuing into 2 John, and then the week after that into 3 John. Uh, Justin, our church planting resident, is going to be uh, preaching those weeks, and so, so thankful for him as Kirsten and I head out of town tomorrow to go up north to visit our family there. But what I'm also excited about is is this summer, I I met with with Justin and then our um, pastoral intern, Brandon, this week to pray through and plan through our summer series. Summer in the Psalms. In, and one of the comments that, that Brandon made as we were reading and praying through these Psalms together is that the Psalms express the emotions we often try to hide. Right? Like, and that's what I'm so excited about for this series, that it's not just random songs that we're going to be looking through. There are the different types of Psalms, the kinds of Psalms that we see in Scripture that do express emotions that often we don't consider worship. When we bring our anger, our judgment, our wounds, along with our praise, along with our thanksgiving to God, we see this expressed in Scripture. And it can be hard sometimes when you read the Psalms and you're like, what is this saying? But to understand the different kinds of of songs that are sung to God as we bring our hearts before Him is what we're going to be looking at throughout the summer. So super excited for that series that'll take us June through July. Now, Today, as as we close out 1 John, we're going to see that John is once again going to tell us why. Why did he write this letter? Why have we been studying it together? Right? Because what we know, and and, and you've probably heard me say over the, the previous weeks, that John was a disciple of Jesus, right? He also wrote the Gospel of John, and he's writing to churches in Ephesus who have been hurting. They've seen people leave the fellowship, walk away from the faith altogether. Those who once sung the mercy of God, now denying that Jesus is God in human flesh, crucified and risen from the dead. And and there's this woundedness, there's this hurt and pain, this internal doubt, this external pressure that was coming on the church. And John, like a grandfather, is writing to the church to say why, why he has written, why he wrote out this poetic sermon to them. And and seven times, we're going to look at nine short verses this morning, and seven times we're going to hear him say that you may know, that you may know. It it has this tone to me that, that what we're coming out of today's message with is not this, hey, now I want you to go do this and go live this way. It's it's this father who's, who's saying, look, I, I know the wounds you're carrying, the hurts, the pressures from the outside, and this is what I want, the truth I want to weigh on your hearts and minds. 
This is what I want you to know, that you would know, that you would know. Seven times he's going to repeat it. And I want that reality to weigh on our hearts this morning. And so if you will, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I want to begin with prayer, and then we'll read it together. Lord, I thank you for the joy that it is together as a church family, Lord, to surrender ourselves beneath the authority of your word. And Lord, as we stand in reverence for your word, Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the beauty of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, help us to know, to know deep within, to bring encouragement to those who are hurting. Lord, to bring courage to those who feel weak. Lord, to correct those whose hearts are beginning to wander. Lord, would you be glorified in our time this morning. And in Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. And eternal life, little children, keep yourself from idols. This is God's word. You may be seated. We see here at the very beginning the purpose. John is is restating yet again for this reason. We see who he's writing to. Like You might ask, is he writing to the church? Is he writing to believers, to unbelievers? But we see it right here in verse 13. If you look back there with me, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's writing to believers here. And he's telling us why he's writing. And this isn't the first time that he's told us why. Actually, five times prior, he's also told us why. We see the heart, the intention behind John of why he's preaching the sermon. It's not just random words, random instructions. We saw at the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That in in the expression of faith within the church, he's like, I'm writing that this would be expressed because it completes my joy in proclaiming it to you. In chapter 2, verse 1, I'm writing these things to you 
that you may not sin. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. In verse 21, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Chapter 2, verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. For me, it's helpful knowing the heart of John as he's writing to us. And then, as I said, what we're going to see is seven times he's going to say that you may know, that you may know. And so what I want to do this morning is walk through this. What is he encouraging us to know? And then ask the question in the very end, why? Why does it matter if we know this or not? What difference does it make? Why was it so important for John to say that you may know that you may believe. Look at verse 13 again. That you may know that you have eternal life. I I had to look it up because I was like, I know I've talked about this before. It was actually the very first week. When we first started this first John series, we talked about what eternal life is and what it isn't. When you look back at what these verses say in verses 1 and 2, we see John telling us from the very beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Remember we talked about this? Like John was there. He was a disciple. He's not, well, I heard from someone who heard from someone about this guy named Jesus. He's like, no, I was there. I saw him. I touched him. I heard his words. Let me tell you who he is. And we looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was displayed, manifested among us. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim it. And then he said, to you, eternal life, which is in Christ, eternal life. And remember, one of the things here is that sometimes I think we think of eternal life of what happens after you die, right? Like you die and then eternal life begins. But that's not how Scripture talks about it. Scripture isn't just eternal life is something that happens after you die. It's talking about something that's now in John, in his gospel. Records Jesus telling us what is eternal life? What is it? And John records, he says, and this is eternal life. Jesus saying this, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's like, I want you to know that you have this God life today, that if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in this moment, you have life in the one true living God today. And because your life is in him, you will be with him forever. Eternal life isn't something that is just in the future. It is now. And John's like, I want you to know you have it. Now, and this should change everything. This should change the way we think about sin, the way we think about prayer, the way we think about one another, how we think about love. This truth changes. And this is why I think at the end, John is saying over and over again, 
know, so that you know, so that you know, so that you know. And it begins here that life is in Christ. And because of that, because you have life in God, it continues in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Now think about this. This is the confidence that you have toward him. I was reminded of George Mueller, who was a minister in 19th century, but if you're not familiar with him, he, he ran an orphanage, and he was a man of great prayer, to the point where he was convicted that he should not ask people directly for money, but rather he should trust that God would provide. And there's amazing stories in his life of how God provided, how he moved to, to display his glory through the way that these children that he was caring for were provided for. But in his book, Be Real, he says this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Like, do you believe that? Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. There's moments in my study where it's like, you just want to keep going. And then there's other times it just brings you to a screeching hope. Just brings you to a stop. Like, do I really believe that? Do I believe that in my prayer, I'm trying to convince God to do something he doesn't want to do? Unless I get the words just right, unless I pray enough, unless I have enough faith, unless all these things based on me, or do I believe that God is willing and desiring? This is what I think John's getting at, that because we have this God life, this eternal life, I want you to know that he hears us when we pray, that he hears us. God listens. Think of this. The one true God who spoke creation into existence is bending his ear towards you, listening to the longings, to the wounds of your heart, not with reluctance, not out of obligation, but out of willingness, out of desire. He hears us when we pray, and I want you to know that. To know that that's who he is. And we know that he hears us, verse 15. And whatever we ask, and we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Nothing we ask of God is beyond his power or ability. Nothing. It might be outside of his will for us. And his answer to us may not be what we want it to be, and it may be known. And I think this is sometimes what we need to be reminded of. Like if, if a child comes up to a parent right before dinner and says, Hey, mom, can I have candy? What's the parent going to say? No. <laughs> I don't want you to spoil your dinner, right? I have something better for you. Don't fill up on sugar. Now, the, the parent is leaning in, is listening, is answering the child, not in the way the child wants Sometimes I think we believe that because God doesn't just give us what we want when we pray, he's not listening. And I think that's a lie from the enemy. And I think this is what John is getting to. Like, no, God is 
bending in. He's listening. He hears. And just because he says no doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It's because he has something better for you. He has the power. He has the ability in whatever we ask. But oh, that we would know, that we would know, that we would know, that we would know that in Christ we have life. And because of that life, he hears us. And because he hears us, we can trust in his goodness. This is what John is wanting our hearts to feel this morning. Now, 16 and 17, I almost wanted to skip. I'm going to be honest, I almost was like, because it can be confusing, it's applying what we're praying for. Because John's going to say, hey, and don't just pray for yourself, intercede for others. Intercede, if you see your brother sinning, pray for them too. Don't just pray for yourself that God would lead them into repentance. But then he kind of, he clarifies that. He gives a condition to it. He's like, well, if, if they're sinning in a way that leads to death, don't pray for that. And then he moves on. But I know for many, this can bring up a question. What does he mean? If a brother is committing sin not leading to death, those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin, then it says, uh, mid-16, that, uh, that leads to death. And I'm not saying that you should pray for that. What in the world is John saying here? So I just want to take a moment to clarify those two verses before we move forward in these no statements. Whenever I come to a confusing passage, like what does that mean? What is sin that leads to death? What is sin that does not lead to death? Who am I supposed to be praying for? Who am I not supposed to be praying for? What if I accidentally commit that? It's always best to clarify what is clear. Don't just jump into what's confusing. Start with what's clear. Build out from there in context, meaning what's that initial context around that verse? What's the context of 1 John as a whole? What's the context of all the different letters that John himself has written? And then what's the context of all of Scripture? And let's try to bring clarity to what's confusing. I think as you do that, it starts to bring clarity here that I just want to walk us through quickly. Because it can be confusing. But what is clear is this. And we see it right here in verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. So we see here that sin leads to death. In the context, I would say, of eternal life, this isn't just talking about a physical death. This is talking about a spiritual death, which means eternal separation from God. Is is the context here. We know from John 1 that as Christians, we shouldn't sin, but we do sin. And it says, if you say that you don't have any sin, then then you make God to be a liar because God says that we sin. Okay, But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of sins. And so we see that that is clear. So then what are sins that lead to death? Specifically, I would say this, any sin for which you can no longer confess or repent leads to sin. And here's what I mean by that. This is not saying that certain sins you have, this is not saying there's categories of sin. These sins you can still be saved from. But if you are unfortunate enough and you commit one of these sins in another list, sorry, no hope for you. 
It's not saying that. John has already made that clear earlier in the text. John is talking about people who have given themselves over to sin so that they can no longer confess their sins or walk in repentance of that sin. And I think we see this illustrated in Hebrews chapter 12. When it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, and that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Now we have this example, like Esau. What does this mean? Who sold his birthright for a single meal? There was the birthright. What was a blessing of the firstborn son that he sold for a bowl of soup because he was really hungry? And then he regretted it. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And here's what I want us to see. Because in there, I think, is the key to understanding what these verses mean and who we're called to pray for and understand this. It wasn't that Esau was seeking forgiveness and he was no longer available to him. That's not what it was saying. John already told us again that if we confess our sins and repent, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What Esau was guilty of and what it says is that he could no longer repent. He could no longer confess his sin. He had so given himself over to sin, made a practice of it, a habit of it, that he couldn't confess. And what he longed for and what he wept for was not the blessing, was not the forgiveness, but the ability to repent in the first place. This is the warning. That even though he wanted the blessing of forgiveness, he wanted the good things from God, but he could not confess He could not admit that what he did was wrong. He could not repent. And he cried for repentance, but it was too far out of his reach. It wasn't a particular sin that caused him to lack that. It was a heart so saturated from sin, so habitual in sin, he just wasn't even sorry anymore. I think this is the warning and this is the intercession that there are those who we are called to pray for. Don't just pray for yourself. Know that God hears you. This is how then John is applying it. Know that he hears you. Know that he will answer your prayer. Don't just pray for yourself. Pray for others. If you see them in sin, pray that that, that they would be convicted and walk in repentance. But if you see someone that's just hard and they're no longer able to repent, entrust them to God's hand to deal with them. And pray for those who are walking. This is what John is getting at here. And then in verse 18, we see that this theme kind of continue. We know, we know that everyone has been born, who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. We see John making these statements. And this is why it's important to kind of keep them in context of the whole. Like, what does this mean? Like, there's parts. Like, when I hear this, I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Like I sin, right? My first reaction when I hear this is like, am I saved? Like, how do I understand this? Because it says anyone born of God does not keep on sinning. But I sin. 
How in the world do I understand this? How do I reconcile this? And this is where it's helpful to understand what John is doing. He is making hard statements. And when we understand it in the fullness of the text, it brings clarity. And it's things that we would agree to, but sometimes we try to soften on the edges when we put it all together. But let me read you these two statements and tell me if we cannot say amen to this together. Because he says, true Christians do not make a habit of sinning. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. You are a new creation. God's life is in you. So how can you make a habit? How can you make a practice of just continuing to sin? We are called to a new life in Christ. And we would say amen, wouldn't we? Yes, we are called to a new life. We are, we are able to obey God's commands because of his power at work within us. And no, I shouldn't just keep on sinning so that grace may abound. I am called as a new creation to a new life. And we say yes and amen. But then we're like, but I've fallen but I have sinned. And this is where we see back in 1 John 1.10, but if we say we haven't sinned, we make God out to be a liar because we know we sin. And then again, we say yes and amen. Like I know I'm called to a new life, but I know I continue to sin. And this is what I think John is getting at. He wants us to feel the weight of both of these truths. That sometimes I think the church can just say, so that grace abound, live however you want, anything goes. You're forgiven. And you are. But you're forgiven to walk in the newness of life. You have his, his life at work within you, empowering you to walk in faithfulness, to display his glory to a lost and dying world. You have been saved to reflect his glory, so let us walk in his ways. Right? Like we feel this. And yet we understand we don't do that perfectly. It's not out of pride. We have our faults. We stumble and we're pursuing that. And this is what John wants us to feel equally. No, I do not want to make a habit and practice out of sinning. This is true. And yes, I continue to fail and fall on the mercy of God over and over and over again. That we would know this because we have God's life in us today. Right? It comes back to that. That's why, that's how I can live as God has called. And we know that we belong to God, verse 19. We know, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's these two things. One, and I think about the song that we sang as I was backstage and I wish I could remember all the lyrics, but like the mercy of God, safe in his hands. Belonging, that we are from God. It was John, again, in his gospel, quoting Jesus who says, I eternal life. 
I give them my life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We know that we are from God and the world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you see what this reminder is? Because you have life in Christ, you belong to Him. You are held in the Father's hand and we see the reality of the world that is enslaved to sin. We see this because John also told us in the gospel that Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices, makes a habit of sinning is a slave to sin. We are either free in Christ or a slave to sin, right? And he's like, you're alive in Christ. You belong to him. He is holding you in his hand. And no one can snatch you out. Again, just hear the voice of a grandfather in the faith pleading that we would know these truths. And he continues that we would know, in verse 20, that we would know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. They know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. And it all comes full circle, doesn't it? Again and again, it comes full circle to how John began the book. Of saying, this is what I saw, that, that I touched, that I heard, that I testify that I proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen, heard, and proclaimed, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is what unites us. This is the life we share. He alone is the true God, that we would know this. And it brings us back full circle to, to the book of 1 John, to even in verse 13 of where we started today, that you would know that your life is hidden with Christ on high. To know it. That Jesus gave us the understanding to trust Him. So that we could know the one true God be known into, in Him, be, belong to Him. That Jesus is eternal life. These are the truths that we see said over and over again in 1 John, that if we would allow them to wash over us, that Jesus is eternal life. Jesus loved you first. He gave you understanding so that Jesus could give you Himself to rest in Him to walk in Him by the power of His life at work within you because you belong to Him as His child. So let me ask you this. Why would John want us to know these truths? Like in many ways, this is the question I want to leave you with this week that I would encourage you, that I would say out of this text, we each need to wrestle with. John is telling us over and over again, I want you to know that you know that you know why. 
Why is it so important for our hearts to be reminded of this? Hers, because even John said, look, I know you believe. I'm not calling you to believe. I'm writing to you because you have believed. And because you believed, I want you to be reminded of this and to know this. Because when the internal doubts arise, when we see people walk away and the doubts arise in our hearts, how do these truths help secure our faith? What happens when the, when the outside opposition comes in, when the accusations come, the doubts are hurled at us? How do these truths that we know, that we know, that we know, bolster our faith? Where are you at in that? How do these truths bring comfort and confidence to your life today? Because the, the danger would be this. You hear this message, you're like, yeah, 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 that's great. And you move on. Like it's really got to be the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to meditate on this, on these truths. Where are you experiencing doubt? Where are you experiencing the morning that you need comfort? Where do you need the confidence of this knowledge being told to us again and again? Where is that speaking to your heart this morning? Where are you prone to doubt? Where are you prone to disbelieve? Does that make sense? Because this is the question that I would encourage each of you guys to ask of yourself this week. Why does it matter? Why do I need to hear this truth? Be called to this knowledge today and rehearse what is true. Remind your heart what is true. You belong to God because of faith in Jesus Christ. Not because you're the greatest, so smart, because of anything you've done. Because of Jesus Christ, you belong to Him. And He gives you Himself. That He leans in and hears you when you pray. And that you are held in the safety of His hand. Because Jesus is your life today and forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, for reminding us of the things that we can be so prone to forget. Lord, truths that if we're not careful, become assumed or common. Lord, would you help these truths to weigh upon our hearts this morning? Give us clarity for everyone here of, Lord, where comfort is needed, where there's discouragement, where there's doubt, where there's wounds, Lord, let these truths wash over hearts and minds this morning. Let our hope not be in in ourselves, in our intellect, in our understanding. But Lord, fill our, our hearts with the humble gratitude that you would save that you would listen to our prayers. 
Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.